Welcome to Ottawa Valley Community Church, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. Well, it is, uh, yeah, really great to be here, Pastor Ivan and uh, family, and family, and uh, Aaron and Anna, been good friends for a long time, as Aaron said. Yeah, so I just, I'm just absolutely delighted. We were uh, in the area. I don't know how many of you were aware on Friday night was a uh, gathering in Ottawa, hosted at the Arlington Woods uh, Free Methodist Church, uh, the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, working together with the Billy Graham Association, working together with an organization called Peace and Reconciliation uh, Worldwide. Uh, Vineyard Canada, a few others of us came together and we just hosted a night to, to gather together and pray for the nation. And just, just it was called Ignite. And we'll, there was, uh, in Ottawa, was this first gathering. We'll be in Calgary next week. There's a coming together in um, Kelowna, British Columbia, and then in Regina. And so the Lord is really stirring some really cool stuff and just seeing people reaching across the aisle, if you will, and just trying to find ways to really be the body of Christ in this time. You know, carrying our distinctives and the things that make us unique in the body. You know, the I can't say to the ear, I don't need you. You ever heard of that sort of that? There's a biblical reference to that of the... Uh, the dynamics that we all carry together as a body with Jesus as our head. But uh, it's really encouraging to see some things stirring. So Aaron, was just we were just going to get together. I was just going to come hang out, and we were trying to figure out what to do. And I guess they said, everybody put their heads and hearts together and said, hey, why don't you share? So I'm delighted and super honored uh, just to share a little bit. And so hopefully we'll have a something to share with you that could be encouraging and something you can take away with you today. Does that sound fair? Does that sound all right? So as I said, my name's David. I have a wife. I do. And uh, her name is Anita. And I've got four kids, uh, three daughters and a son that are scattered all over North America, uh, three grandchildren. And uh, so it's good. I'm all by myself in this trip. But uh, that's why I had to come hang out. That's why I get, yeah, they said Anita should have been here. They'd rather have Anita, but I'm here. So we'll just, we'll just kind of roll with that. Yeah, way better. So if you're comfortable with this, why don't we just <coughs> pray a bit and I'll just unpack, unpack some thoughts. As Pastor Ivan grabbed the mic, his voice was a little bit louder. So I, I'm an adopted child and only the last couple years actually are finding about, about my biological parents and that that type of thing and I discovered I'm I did it you ever see uh, see those DNA tests so I did one of those DNA I'm 52.6 percent newbie newfie do I see this is the newfie do I seem like a newfie I'm 52 percent 52.6 percent Italian and I just met a half-sister, like in the last, uh, I've only met her twice now. I've just, just got to know her in the last three months, three or four months. And just in a couple times of hanging out together, she went out and bought me a t-shirt, which she gave me a few weeks ago, and it says on it, I'm not yelling, I'm Italian. 
So if it gets a little bit loud, that's just, this is just me. This isn't the anointing of God. This isn't anything more special. It's just me being me. So anyway, full disclosure and apologies. If you're comfortable with this, why don't we just open our hands um, just as a, just a posture. Uh, who was the brother that was helping facilitate here today? Warren? Yeah, dude, amazing, this thing of peace. So I just thought maybe we'd just take a moment, open our hands. We invite the peace of the Holy Spirit. Life's getting a little crazy out there, Jesus. Sometimes we're caught in the swirl of this capital city and all the different dynamics and tugs and pulls of being a governmental center and an economic center. I've just heard about the Sudan in the last couple days, everything unfraying there. We really need to be settled, Lord. We do depend on you. And we take a moment and pray for Ottawa, Carleton Place. The peace of heaven and the security of the governance and the sovereign rule of Jesus. Lord, let us experience it here. Ah, so thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten girls who each took their own torches and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were silly, five were sensible. The silly ones took their torches but didn't take oil with them. The sensible ones took oil and flasks along with their torches. The bridegroom took his time coming and all of them Wise, foolish, everybody took so long, they all nodded and went off to sleep. In the middle of the night, a shout went up. Here's the bridegroom. Come on and meet him. Then all the girls got up, trimmed the wicks of their lamps. The silly one said to the sensible ones, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. But the sensible ones answered, no, if we do that, there won't be enough for all of us together. You'd better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. So off they went to buy oil. But while they were gone, the bridegroom arrived. The ones who were ready went in with him to the wedding party and the door was shut. Later on, the other girls came back. Master, master, they said, open the door for us. I'm telling you the truth, he said. I don't know you. So keep awake. You don't know the day or the hour. It's a fascinating 
story that's pulled out of the biblical narratives towards the end of the ministry of Jesus as he's sharing uh, this particular capturing of this story is in Matthew 25. And just a couple things before we pull a couple thoughts out of it. First of all, we need to realize it's a parable. And parables are a little bit tricky in the biblical text because they're given for a specific purpose and it's not really to get deep theology or doctrine out of it. It's to awaken us to some kind of understanding. It's a story or a saying that illustrates a truth using comparison, hyperbole, or simile. It can be a model, analogy, or example. It's symbolic speech that teaches a lesson or makes a point. So sometimes we need to be a little bit careful with parables. We try to like try to figure out all the pieces. You have you ever heard this expression, an analogy always falls short? Because not everything in it needs to mean something. It's trying to make a point. It uses familiar situations, persons, or events to illustrate an unfamiliar or unrecognized truth. In the Greek context, in the culture, and in the Greek language, the word uh, was used for argumentation to clarify, prove, or cause something to appear livelier. That's why we need to tell stories. Otherwise, things get really boring. So parables like a story to kind of spark us a little bit. Get things a little bit more alive so that we'll pay attention to the point that's trying to be made. But this was also deep in the uh, tradition of rabbinical teaching. For some of us, are, or most of us are familiar. You know, our roots and our journey goes way back into the journey of the Hebrew people, the Jewish nation. And the parable was very much used in their teaching style. Rabbinic parables explained passages of scripture or illustrate an interpretation of a passage already provided. Now in fine Jewish fashion, it can refer to a taunt, a riddle, an allegory, or a proverb. So many times Jesus would use these types of stories to kind of taunt us a little bit in the most positive sense create a little bit of a riddle in our mind, get us thinking, what is he trying to say? What, what is that? It kind of messes around with us. So that's the story that we've just read is in this tradition. But parables are also patterned after wisdom literature. So when we hear a parable, we're trying to discern, we're trying to hear in there, what is the wisdom that's trying to be given to us? And I think we need to go to some of the parables of Christ, particularly in this time historically, because we need wisdom more than we need answers. So many times we're just trying to figure out what's right or wrong or get things all neatly cinched up when we really need wisdom. Just what's the next step, Lord? Does that kind of make sense? Certain books in the Old Testament were designed to deal specifically with the genre of wisdom. It was a mode of presenting understanding of reality. It's like, what's really going on here? What is, what's the wisest thing that I need to be stepping into? How it would then impact behavior and decision making. It was a recognizable form of instruction by rabbis, which Jesus was one, teachers and sages, that was striking, particularly in the Old Testament writings. Because it was deliberately devoid of things that were typically Israelite. Again, it's not so much theology. Have you heard of the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, for example? 
It's a very difficult book if you want to like preach like a, you know, a text. Because <laughs> it's not designed for that. It's like, well, a wise person does this and does that. And it kind of moves around. That, that's the essence of, of, of what, how parables operate. So it's not really things that are specific as much as things that are insights that are universal and international and can apply to people in all types of situations, cultures, settings. Does that kind of make sense? So that's the story that we've looked at. So what are a couple of the things that jump out at us? At least for me, one of the striking things of this story of these 10 young girls is when it all comes down to it, it seems like the most important or one of the most important parts of this parable are knowing Jesus. And even more than that, him recognizing us. Wasn't that, the, remember that little phrase? They're knocking at the door. Some have already made it in. Jesus looks across and he, or looks out at them. He goes, you know, I, I can't recognize you. I don't know you. That seems to be a pretty significant part of this parable. Another thing that I think is really important to realize, again, we're not trying to make everything have meaning, but context is important. Just hold your hand out like this for a second. Just cup it. The lamp, the torch, whatever the translation is, that is being spoken about in this text is a little lamp that can fit right inside the palm of your hand. If you go to Israel this day, you'll find them all over the marketplaces. Oh my goodness, all of a sudden the story changes a little bit, doesn't it? I kind of sometimes when I would read this before, I think of like a big Coleman lantern, you know, like a good old Canadian out in the wilderness with a, you know, big old green lantern. You can pump that thing and get the little filament going. You got a nice big can of, of, of uh, gas or, or uh, propane underneath it or whatever. No, this is a little lamp. And most scholars and historians will tell us it could get light up to about an hour but most, most likely, the lamp that Jesus was talking about had 15 minutes of light. Kind of changes the story, doesn't it? 15 minutes of light. There they are. Just enough oil to get one step. I depend on you. I depend on you. Oh, Jim, what's the name? Remember, Jesus said kind of crazy things like, don't worry about tomorrow. It's got enough trouble. Just, just know what the wise step is. Watch this step. I've got enough oil for 15 minutes. I got enough oil. I don't have to stress out about having it all sorted out. I don't need maybe, I don't, maybe I don't need a five-year plan as much as I thought I needed. I need wisdom for the next step. 15 minutes, 15 minutes, 15 minutes. Jesus, I depend on you. I'm leaning into you. I'm leaning into you. It's not about getting a longer wick, but a reliable supply of oil. And sometimes I think too, we think, our lives or our churches or the way that we operate, if we could just get a big old storehouse of oil where we just don't have to worry about the supply of oil, that's the way God wants us to operate. 
No, it's a little lamp. One step at a time. Wisdom. Dependence. Leaning into the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and the love of the Father. So the parable is a little bit of a riddle. It's this taunt. Jesus is going, what are you depending on? You get too much of a big warehouse of oil. How are you going to live in these rhythms of dependence and grace? But it's not just about being wisdom. It's about so that I can respond in the moment. We'll talk about that in a second. But let's think about this. What was it about the wisdom of the wise ones that allowed them to have a supply of oil at hand? What was it about the foolish ones where they had to go to a professional source for their oil? Remember this in the story? You know, you'd better go out to the dealers and get some oil. I don't know. It seems to me that a lot of what we're wrestling with inside the church in this current time is, oh my goodness, we've relied on the professional oil dealers, haven't we? Some call it celebrity culture. Some call it, I mean, it can be called various things, right? We need each other. We need instruction and teaching and great places in the earth that, you know, we can go and get trained and learn. Or, but it seems Jesus is turning the tables on this thing. This isn't about going to a professional oil dealer to get the oil that you need to follow Christ. Is it here? I depend on you. I depend on you. 15 minutes. It's all I need, Lord. It's just, just enough light to see what the next step is. And then you'll, if I'm in you and cultivating a life of dependence in you through various things. I mean, this, this parable can take us to all sorts of things that stir the supply of oil in our lives. Obvious, there's obvious ones, right? Like prayer and those types of things. But there's all kinds of other things which we might see as we just think a little bit more about the text. The parable isn't just about the very end of time, the great and terrible day for which the world and the church still wait. Throughout his ministry, Jesus was coming as Messiah again and again and again. Some recognized him, some didn't, right? So Jesus is constantly breaking into our lives. What's he saying to Calvary Pentecostal Church? What's he saying to Ottawa Valley Vineyard? Jesus, where are you? Are you just, do we have enough oil and enough awareness and dependence? Go, what's the step? What's the step? Jesus, we want to recognize you as you break into our present reality. We see his kingdom breaking through again and again as we long for his ultimate return. Not only the kingdom, but remarkably the king himself. Isn't that amazing? It's really true, isn't it, brother? We constantly are in to lean into the awareness of Jesus. Where are you breaking through in this moment? And do I, can I pivot or have I just relying on such a deep supply of oil? No, I gotta, I gotta use up that oil first before I can make this 15 minute decision. No, can I respond in the moment? There's an old monk called Ignatius. 
years and years and years ago. In their monastic tradition, they, they had this understanding that the journey of faith is you've got, you've got one foot on the ground, but every time you've got, you're stepping in faith, there's one foot, but there's always one foot in the air. Right? 15 minutes, boom, can I, can I pivot? Can I respond? The cup of cold water, the word of encouragement, Letting go in generosity, maybe giving away where I wasn't expecting to give to someone in that moment. The journey of community of faith, someone hits a hard time, someone dies, there's struggles, there's challenges, COVID hits, like in a moment, right? Didn't we, wasn't that the big wake-up call? Oh my goodness, we thought it was about having the plan set for the next five to ten years, and in a moment, everything shifted. Those that were able to pivot and live in the 15-minute, moment-by-moment dependence on Christ, maybe were able to navigate a little bit better than many of us, like me, who kind of tried to have everything kind of set. We're going to kind of go on this long trajectory. And it's like, oh my goodness, I, I don't know how to pivot. I don't, I got to run to a professional source of oil. I don't, I don't have enough right now, Jesus, to respond to you. And he said, it's okay. I'll fill you step by step by step. The present rule and reign of Christ. The word for kingdom in the New Testament is basileia. It doesn't mean that Jesus rules way out there in the ozone layer. But he's present in the moment. The present rule and reign of Christ. How do I respond to your kingship in this moment, Jesus? Maybe it's tucking my kids in at night. Maybe it's taking a mission trip. It's not about all those externals. It's about where is my source of oil? And I don't have to panic. There's always enough for the next step. It doesn't look like a whole lot, Lord. It's just this tiny little lamp. But he goes, it's okay. One step at a time, one step at a time. The Basileia, the rule and reign of Christ. Followers of Jesus who lived under Roman rule would greet each other with the hopeful Aramaic word, Maranatha, which means the Lord is coming or come, O Lord. It was this sense that Jesus was always imminent, even either his ultimate return or his presence in our lives. As Warren was telling us, what would it be like if he just came and physically put his hand on your shoulder? He is walking amongst us. Do we not believe this? He is with us every moment. He's never left or never forsaken. This became a watchword, particularly for those who were facing persecution, insurmountable challenges. Jewish believers in particular would often use the word Maranatha in place of the Hebrew Shalom. It was an acknowledgement that it was in Jesus, the Prince of Peace. The messianic hope of not only Israel, but indeed the whole world, that true peace would be established forever. The Prince of Peace. Jesus. Breaking into each moment 
with peace, not panic to run out to the professional source because I don't have enough oil, but to recognize if I'm cultivating a life in him, I have enough. I have enough for this moment. There's always enough for that one step of obedience. And I can be at peace in my life, in my community, in any scenario or situation. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is arene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to, is to refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps or missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that are in a state of completeness or wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no one was missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David went to his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom. It literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them repayment for their loss. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. When rival kingdoms made peace, it wasn't just about getting along. They would share and work together for each other's benefit. Shalom is what Israel kings were supposed to cultivate, but it rarely happened. So Isaiah looks forward to a time when the prince of shalom, the prince of peace will come. This is why the unity of the bride of Christ is so important. It brings shalom to the world. We come together. It's from the root of shalom, to be safe in mind, body, or estate. Completeness, fullness. The opposite of scarcity, just enough oil. I'm at peace. I've got enough, Jesus, to see the next step. Can I be content there? Can I live there? Freely receive, freely give, generously repay. It's the opposite of poverty. It's inward completeness. This is from one of the rabbinical uh, dictionaries that's been in existence for like, like a long time. <laughs> Shalom is inward completeness resulting in an outward wholeness to the point of the absence of war. The leopard and the lamb will lie down and his reign of peace will be forever. Let the kingdom come. So the Maranatha, their trust and hope were not in political leaders or systems of the day, but a patient posture of faith and life, staying true to the path they were on, guided by the way of Jesus, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, always anticipating the second coming of Jesus. 
Maranatha can mean our Lord has come, come Lord, or our Lord is coming. Although there's debate among scholars as to which is most accurate, all of these are congruent with the New Testament teachings. And for us in the vineyard, at least, we just say, okay, all of the above. We'll just take it all. Come, Lord, you're here, Lord. Return again, Jesus. It's all of it. We are aware that his presence is ever amongst us as we long for his ultimate return. But are we living life in a way where we can pivot, we can respond to his coming? His presence with us. Come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. I'm in the midst of despair. I'm in a place of struggle. Come, Lord Jesus. Am I living my life in a way where I can respond to your presence in this moment as I long for your ultimate return? It's a bit of a riddle, isn't it? But it's a beautiful way to live. It's a peaceful way to live. It's a complete way to live. I'm going to blow through these slides here. Is my life trimmed in such a way I can pivot and respond when Jesus shows up? Because here's the funny thing. Jesus keeps talking. Kind of like me, right? You're going, stop, David. What is happening here? He shifts from a parable now in Matthew 25, and he actually gives us a picture of what's really going to happen. So he's setting us up. What's the pivot look like? What's the coming of Jesus look like into our moment? Why do we need to have our lamps trimmed and filled with oil so we can respond to him? Well, he says this. When he arrives blazing in beauty, all his angels with him, the Son of Man will take his place in his glorious throne. The nations will be out there and he'll start working us through like a shepherd with sheep and goats. And he'll say to those on his right, hey, you are blessed by my Father. Take what's coming to you in this kingdom. It's been ready since the world's foundation and here is why. I was hungry. You fed me. Just enough oil. I could pivot in that moment and I could respond to someone's need not even realizing that was Jesus coming to me. We cry out for his presence and we want him to fill this place, which he will, and we need to. We want glory to fill the house when sometimes he's come to us, but we haven't seen him, have we? Ah, I don't know you. Thirsty, you gave me a drink. Homeless, you gave me a room. Shivering, you gave me clothes. Sick, you stopped to visit. I was in prison, you came to visit me. Then they're going to go, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you like this? I'm telling you the tall and truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. So again, we need to be careful. Don't just drill that right down into like really tiny specific categories. Are we willing and able with lamps with just enough that we can freely give as we freely receive? Does that make sense? Respond to the coming of Jesus in every moment. 
Whenever you fail to do it here, you failed it to do to me. So one commentator says this, the real question is not, when will the Son of Man come in all his glory? The real question is, how shall we live while we wait? To be among the righteous is to live out the love of the neighbor, demonstrating justice through acts of mercy for the most vulnerable. To live this way is to always be ready for the judgment and not in the position of saying, well, I wasn't really expecting you, Lord. Not, not here and not right now. I didn't have enough of that type of oil. My lamp was just a bit empty. I couldn't respond to you in this moment. Just give me a second. Let me run out to that seminar and just get my, get my tank a little full. Just, just give me a second. Let me run out to the bank and just kind of see where my finances are. See if I can make a decision somewhere down the road. It's not that simple, right? It's an aspect of wisdom. Life is very layered. I'm not trying to reductionize this, but I'm, I'm going, we need to be able to respond to Jesus when he's right here. And you never know when he's going to show up. You just never know. Mother Teresa said, this is what it means to be contemplative in the heart of the world. Seeing and adoring the presence of Jesus, especially in the lowly appearance of the bread of the table and the distressing disguise of the poor. Spirit and the bride say, come. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the ones who are thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. You know this little chorus? Come, Lord Jesus, come. Sing that. Come, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, come. Do you feel us, Lord? Do you break the fear in us that I don't hold on to what I have right now. There's not going to be enough. Lord, would you just break that fear in who we are. That we would trust that you are the source of the oil in our lives. And there's always enough to take the next step. true for those in the heart of Congo today. It's true as it is for us in Ottawa today. It's true for those have the bombshells exploding all around them in the Ukraine today, Lord. It's got to be true. It's as true for us. And Lord, we're in different scenarios and situations. But I thank you, Jesus. We all have access to this oil. 
can freely receive and freely give. We can pivot when your presence is upon us and we hear your voice. Whatever it looks like. So I just pray blessing on Calvary Pentecostal Church, Lord. There's enough oil right here, right now, to say yes to Jesus. For us as individuals, for this community, you are gracious, Lord. You are good. We trust you. We trust you. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Community Church, visit ovchurch.ca.